Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks, regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby. Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. My very special guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Jamie Shanks from Toronto, Ontario. Jamie is the CEO of both Pipeline Signals and Sales for Life. Pipeline Signals is a pioneer in relationship signal intelligence monitoring, where they monitor and mine your list of accounts for relationship connections, competitive intelligence, and compelling events like job changes. They place that sales intelligence into your CRM as reminder tasks to buy your seller's time, allowing your sellers to focus on selling instead of researching. Sales for Life is the world's largest social selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. Sales for Life has trained over 250,000 sales and marketing professionals in dozens of industries. Jamie's workshops have been delivered across six continents for brands such as Microsoft, Thomson Reuters, Oracle, American Airlines, and Intel. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, I know you're busy. You've got a lot going on, and your book's doing great. And uh, so I, I, I thank you on behalf of our listeners for, for making the time to, to share some nuggets of wisdom with us today. So, Jamie, tell me, what was your infection, inflection point to create social, social selling and now creating relationship signal monitoring? So we'll jump into a time machine, and I... Uh, I was a VP of sales at a SaaS software as a service company in Toronto, Canada. And we took it, I was a third employee, took it from zero to profitability. I think it was $3 million ARR, annual recurring revenue, by the time I left. And I had this big, hairy, audacious goal of helping local Toronto companies with inside sales best practices. So I didn't have much of a vision other than the fact that I wanted to be an entrepreneur wanted to help local sales businesses. And at that time, there was an emerging topic called Sales 2.0. And Sales 2.0 was the very first beginnings of where field sellers were moving towards the inside sales model. And this is where cold calling and uh, business development, inside sales business development rep functions in software companies started to scale. So for two years, I hung out a shingle as a consultant and failed miserably. Uh, basically went bankrupt. And there's a whole story about that kind of bankruptcy and inflection point just uh, as a preface in my book, Social Selling Mastery. But long and the short is after coming back from my honeymoon, I had no money, no job, no customers, didn't know what I was doing. I would sit in our spare bedroom, which was global head office at the time of a company of one. (laughs) 
And I would sit right. and stare at my laptop at three in the morning, can't sleep, can't eat. And I would try to figure out, listen, I'm, I'm great at business development on the phone and email. How do I create more scalable pipeline? And LinkedIn at that time was predominantly a recruiting tool. It had no real functionality for companies using it for business development. But I saw this tool and the ability to reverse engineer classic business development best practices into this tool uh, for research and for engagement. And I would book meetings for myself. I would use it that night. I'd reach out to a chief revenue officer, a chief marketing officer. I'd book a meeting. And then of the few customers that I actually had, I would wake up the next day and show them what I'd learned. And they were way more interested in that, you know, that solution that I just showed them. And it was the beginnings of something that we called social selling. And social selling eventually turned into a methodology and framework of using social platforms for business development and also upselling and cross-selling and protecting your existing customers. So that's the beginnings of social selling. So for 10 years, I've run Sales for Life, and it has a global curriculum in 10 languages, scalable around the world. But we certified a quarter million sellers, and along that journey to become certified as a seller, the sales professional has to pick an account, plan it, engage it, and create a real-life opportunity and defend it in a case study akin to Dragon's Den or it's the Shark's Tank. And all these are on video case study testimonials on a platform called Vidyard. So we've got all these video case studies and we started to notice this pattern that the way that sellers were booking meetings were compelling events and triggers. You know, that's not that difficult, but if you dove into the triggers and compelling events, they were predominantly using our own methodology to reverse engineer their customers, to figure out where people left employment in their customers and went to a prospect. Or there was a brand new job change from company A and company B. And it was these moments that sellers were picking up to create opportunities for themselves. And we kept getting asked, can you just do this for me rather than teach me how to do it? <laughs> so we set on a course to develop pipeline signals started as a managed service that's morphing into a SaaS software, software as a service company, that what we do is you tell us every account in the world, it's exactly like cybersecurity monitor. You tell us every account in the world that's, that's meaningful to you, whether it's a customer or a prospect, we monitor it, we mine it for these compelling events, and we route these events into your CRM as tasks. So your sellers don't have to do anything other than they wake up in the morning, they open Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever tool they're using, and they get an alert that says, John Smith left your customer. They went into this prospect. They worked at your customer from this year to this year. They're now the chief technology officer, and here are the things that you need to do to crack open this account. And so we've taken all that rote mechanical work and time and uh, that a seller was using, and we buy back the seller's time. That's fascinating. What salesperson listening would not love to wake up every morning with that kind of intelligence at their fingertips in their CRM? That, that is amazing, Jamie. Incredible. You, you, your phone must be ringing off the hook or your, your inbox exploding because that's got to be very hot these days. Well, it's interesting. When I, it's interesting. When I started social selling, I spent the first three or four years 
explaining what is social selling, why should you care. There was very much, it was um, knife fights, right, all day long. Just people didn't believe in it at that time. And then there was this inflection point, give or take 2016 and 17, where a lot of the conversations weren't, why should we become social? It's, we've decided to become social and we're about, you know, we want to know how, and we're evaluating you versus somebody else. And we became the obvious choice. And we had, you know, scaled with the global enterprise almost from day one. Well, in that same vein, I'm kind of creating a category here. Sales leaders and CEOs know that their best customers come from previous customers. They just didn't know that there was a platform that was actually finding all that intelligence on their behalf. So it's not like we're a Googleable word yet um, because they know there's a problem. They didn't know there was a solution to the problem. Right, right. And every salesperson would, would raise their hand, Jamie, with what you just said around uh, you, we've got, if you've been in sales a long time, you've got customers that have moved from one company to another and likely brought you with them. So why not have a, a playbook, a, a, a dashboard that tracks all of that movement? It lets you scale and know more and be the first on the trigger to make a move. That's, that's fantastic. So, so how are relationship signals connected to or related to uh, buying intent signals? Like, where's the connection there, Jim? So most marketers and sellers are very accustomed to the trigger or compelling event known as buying intent, that signal. And that is where somebody has raised their hand, they've filled in a contact us form, they've Googled a keyword that your team picked up, they downloaded one of your eBooks. So it's very simple for a sales organization to recognize that as a signal. That in fact is a piece to an account puzzle. So I'm sitting here drinking a coffee and I have a bottle of water. I have a Yeti right in front of me. So we use Yeti as our account. Inside Yeti, there is a key stakeholder that might Google a word or download one of your eBooks. And they are part of a buying committee. That buying committee is typically made up of five to 10 different key stakeholders cross-functionally in a company that will make a decision collaboratively about buying a complex solution. So the buying intent is really important, but it is a piece to a puzzle. The other side of that puzzle piece are what's happening to the actual people in that account. Well, there are people that are going in it, being promoted, or leaving it. And people are the ones that make priorities, not companies. Like Yeti doesn't wake up as an entity and say, what are our priorities this quarter? It's the people that they hire that formulate a series of priorities based on their past experiences, based on the people that they bring in. And those people, you can track that human capital migration. And if you believe inherently that people make decisions and people buy from people, by watching where people go in and out of companies helps you dictate where priorities are coming or going in a business. And so we're another piece to a puzzle uh, around account-based sales development or account-based marketing. Love how you said that, like a piece of a puzzle, and it is a puzzle, uh, but some very important pieces because it frames uh, an action 
that frames something to move forward, which is, you know, what is the process for a customer to monitor their targets or markets or accounts for these critical relationship signals, Jamie? Yeah, step number one is what we do is we develop a TAM or account map. So a TAM means total addressable market. And so your total addressable market might be a very specific set of named accounts. It could be a geography, but we both live in Canada. It could be United States, could be a MIA, or it could be a vertical. So you sell into the airline industry or fintech. So what we do is we map what that TAM looks like. Who, what are your ideal customer profiles, like their titles, their roles within these companies? Do you sell the big companies? Do you sell the small companies? And we, we draw that map together. And even you tell us what accounts you need. And so now we get to work. And at the same time, we hook into your CRM. You hook into your CRM so that, listen, you do not want your sellers using yet another platform. And this, I got really lucky when we started Pipeline Signals. Our very first customer was a cybersecurity customer. And, you know, we had initially built a data upload. We built a spreadsheet, you know, to give it to them. And they said, well, why don't you just sync this into our CRM and make this a pop-up task? And thank God they said that because that's the most important piece is your sellers are used to using now they have their email open every day. They have their CRM open day every day. They might have Slack, you know, LinkedIn, but you've got to give them this intelligence at the point of need, at the point of tr- truth. And so you put it into their CRM. And then the third step is you need to enable them because each seller inherently understands, yes, of course, my best leads come from customers or job changes. They know it to be true, but you still need to train them. You train them on what is a signal? What is a relationship signal? Why should they care? What's in it for them? What do you do when you get a signal? So you make sure that they're comfortable. And then what we typically do is every month we do a feedback loop. All the sellers come on a call with us and we talk about what's working, what's not. We share stories. We learn collaboratively together because a, you know certain signals work for some sellers and not for others. Um, certain follow-up messages are working for seller in Vancouver, but the seller in Toronto didn't even know that that was the type of messaging you were using on your first touch point. So we share these stories together. And that's kind of how we get started. Uh, that makes complete sense. And you're right. That the last thing a salesperson needs is yet again, another platform. Got my CRM. I got my outlook. I've got all of these things definitely linked in. But you want to give me another one? Oh, no. Like the idea you've integrated, Jamie, is brilliant. That is like the secret sauce. It's gone. And I wish I had come up with it. It was thankfully a customer that told us. <laughs> well, you got you got to love when a customer can, can, can cross-pollinate ideas like that. That's fantastic. So what is the impact that signal monitoring on LinkedIn specifically can have for a business? So we'll start from my sales training days. So my sales training days, every customer had all their cohorts of sellers, had to pick accounts, plan them, engage them, and create real-life opportunities. And on average, within 6 to 12 months, that company would create 20% more uh, pipeline coverage ratio, which means that whenever the, the, the girth, the size of your pipeline is today, 
let's call it your pipeline coverage ratio from sales qualified lead all the way to close one, that would typically swell by upwards of 20% within six to 12 months, depending on your sales cycle velocity. So that's because you're getting everyone rowing in the same motion, at least booking one meeting in a corner because uh, our program was you had to do it in 60 to 90 days. But then we typically get these sellers to repeat that same motion every quarter, quarter on quarter. So that's where it all came from. So we knew what plays worked. We knew where to go with this. Now with pipeline signals, there's interesting um, kind of secondary actions and activities that are coming out of this that are, uh, that are helping organizations. Number one is that each time we're sending signal reports to our customers, on average, 85 to 90% of the, of the signals that they're getting are net new to their CRM. Why? Because these are people that are brand new to their job. They, they came from your customers, so they're brand new key stakeholders, and your CRM just didn't have them there. So marketers listening love this because it's fueling your ABM strategy. Sometimes your sellers were a bit single-threaded. They weren't populating the CRM with all the key contacts. Now this is doing this automatically by every time there's a new key stakeholder, a key stakeholder going in or being promoted, we're populating that in. If they're leaving, we're telling you about that as well. Another thing that's coming about from this is now email conversions are really starting to skyrocket. One of our customers has seen 300%. They went from a 12% conversion to a 38% conversion. Why? So now it's not that their messaging changed, their volumes didn't change. It's that they're emailing past customers. So now they're really focused on account selection and prioritization, and they're aiming their messages at all these people who used to use their solution at other companies. So naturally, it's nothing magical that we did. <laughs> it's you know, you're just you're giving them uh, knowledge that these people are past advocates. And you can talk to them, and it's a much more warmer conversation. Absolutely, it's like a sales compass. This, what salesperson would not want to embrace such a tool? This is Jamie. You made a huge, huge impact on the sales world with innovation and vision, and being a pioneer. I, I think that's a very good word for it. I don't know anyone else in the sales world that would be better positioned to answer my final question to you. What do you believe the future holds for sales in the 2020s? Where do you think we're headed? So without getting too philosophical, uh, maybe it's because I come from the lens of, of now owning multiple businesses. But I want you to understand what the inflection point of the last couple of years has done to business owners and CFOs. So pre-COVID, uh, the primary go-to-market sales play, that if, if you think of a quadrant of the choices that a chief revenue officer has in deploying capital, most chief revenue officers naturally reverted to their first instinct, which was, let's throw more bodies at the problem. Oh, we have a hole in uh, our market in Texas. Let's go hire a couple sellers, throw them in that hole, and fill that territory. So then COVID hit, and COVID forced every field seller to migrate inbound to an inside sales role. 
And for the last two years, CFOs looked at the numbers and went, oh my God, uh, we were either flat or some, many companies grew, yet our gross margins and our cost customer acquisition through dramatic cost savings because we weren't on planes, trains, and automobiles all day long. And we were wildly more productive where our field sellers were having six conversations a day rather than two. So now you've got all these CFOs as we come, knock, knock, coming hopefully as this is being recorded, coming out of COVID. And they're looking at it and going, well, I'm not going back to that old world. You know, $9,000 flights and baseball stakes. And I don't know that that was warranted because you were able to do six and seven figure deals via Zoom. So that is the beginning of what I believe is going to be a revolution. One company called it the common sense revolution, which is the financial rigor that is going to be around cost to customer acquisition and customer lifetime value kind of gross margins. I believe that CFOs and CROs are going to have to look at a different playbook, much more overtly focused on yields per seller. So we're not going to throw endless headcount, and we're at the third piece to this trifecta, which is a really, really challenging time in recruiting. It's very hard right now finding talent. It's a candidate's market. So even if you did want to throw headcount at this problem, good luck trying to find it all. So now companies are going to have to look inwards and say, I'm going to get way more production out of the people that I have. And that means they're going to start looking deeply at people process technology that are going to make an average seller book more, shrink sales cycle velocities, uh, better conversions, just get wildly more productive. Because throwing headcount at this problem when less than 50% of sellers are making quota anyways that that's a recipe for good times. Now we're like wartime CEOs and we need to ratchet in our expenses. So that's what I believe is going to be the future, at least for the next bunch of years. That's uh, that's amazing insight. And, and no one could argue that I'm sure. Absolutely. We've learned new tricks um, and a lot of them are going to stick and it's made us uh, definitely more cost conscious, but more more effective as well. Working from home, you can get so much more done if you're focused and disciplined and have great tools like you're talking about, Jamie. My, my guest uh, uh, this week has been Jamie Shanks from Toronto. Jamie, I want to thank you very much on behalf of the listeners. How can our listeners reach out to get a hold of you? I'm sure you've stimulated some interest here. Yeah, so I... Uh Check out Pipeline Signals, as it sounds, pipelinesignals.com. You could connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, also salesforlife.com. So Pipeline Signals will be the do-it-for-you business. Sales for Life is the teach-you-how business. And connect with me on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jamie, once again. And thank you for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, We would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons. More wins. With Ian Selby.